Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Podcast. To find out more about the Worklife Hub and to listen to other episodes, please go to www.worklifehub.com. Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Hub Podcast. I am your host, Agnes Uheretsky. If this is the first time that you are tuning in, let me just say a few words about this podcast. We speak to authors, researchers, business thought leaders, for them to share their knowledge and insight on work-life balance, leadership, culture change and organizational development. In our work at the Worklife Hub, we help companies reform their workplace to create a culture that embraces diversity and work-life balance. We are passionate about building vibrant and engaging workplaces that are great for employees and customers. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do this via Twitter at WorkLifeHub, on our LinkedIn page or on our website. We're always happy to hear how you like the podcast or any other ideas that you would like to share with us. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the listeners of the WorkLife Podcast. This is your host, Agnes Uheretsky, and today I'm going to be having a fantastically interesting conversation with John Messenger of the ILO. Hello, John. Hi, Agnes. How are you? I have approached John um, already back in 2016 when we were together in Bergamo at the ADAPT conference on the future of work. John, you made a very interesting uh, presentation about telework, and I approached you already there and then to interview you about this research. Um, but this is now a much, much better timing for our conversation because just this week, uh, as we're speaking at the end of February 2017, the ILO and Eurofound published a joint report, which is called Working Anytime, Anywhere, the Effects on the World of Work. And you are one of the lead researchers on this project. And maybe as a way of presentation, um, John is a team leader of uh, the Working Conditions Group at the ILO, so the International Labour Organization in Geneva. And um, you are specialized in policy research on working time and work organization. You, you wrote a book called Working Time Around the World. And um, prior to joining the ILO, you worked at the US Department of Labour and your, your specialties are working time flexibility and new forms of work. So I'm Extremely thrilled um, and very, very happy. Uh, John, thank you very much for accepting to come on the podcast. And as a way of introduction, may I ask you to tell listeners a little bit about you, um, your career, your passion, your research interests, and how you got into working uh, uh, on telework and work flexibility? Yeah, it's a very long story. I'll, I'll try to just give you the short version, but uh, I mean, I've really had a passion for labor and employment research uh, most of my life that began when I got out of university in the U.S. during a very deep recession in 82-83 um, and found that I couldn't find a job, even with... Um, college degree, which at the time was considered to be the ticket to sort of the good life, you know, and I couldn't understand it. For me, it was just astonishing. Um, and although I never really had any is interest at all, no interest at all in employment uh, and labor issues before that, I started getting into them. I started researching unemployment. I started learning about employment issues and policies. And 
got me actually into uh, the area of skill training. Um, so employment and training uh, programs and policies uh, eventually leading me to, uh, to go back to school, uh, get my master's degree, and then uh, ended up at uh, the U.S. Department of Labor in Washington, D.C. As you said, worked there for 15 years, um, mainly on employment and training issues. So really on trying to help people, mainly focused on people who lost their jobs due to um, massive uh, restructuring of the economy, such as in my home state of Pennsylvania, people in the steel industry had lost their jobs, trying to help them retrain and prepare for new jobs and worked there for 15 years. And as part of that, I started developing other interests. And one of them already at that time was telework, which was already something that we were looking at at the time of the Clinton administration in the late 1990s. Now, when I came to the ILO um, in 2000, I started working on an entirely different set of issues uh, involving working conditions, um, particularly working time, work organization, and also work-life balance. But one of the continuing interests that I had was uh, on working remotely, uh, that is, teleworking as um, a means really of, of work flexibility, a flexible work arrangement that could potentially benefit uh, both workers um, as well as companies. So this was something that was a continuing interest of mine, but it was only a few years ago that I was finally able to really pursue that interest when um, we focused uh, on this joint project. Um, and I developed this collaboration with Eurofound, beginning first with a literature review and then with a series of national studies in 15 countries, uh, and finally working together on this joint report that, as you say, was literally just launched here uh, in Geneva uh, by uh, both uh, the ILO and Eurofound last week. So it's been kind of a long voyage for me, but very, a very exciting one. And I have to say, it's it's been really rewarding to finally be able to do some sustained work on this subject that I thought was so important, even way back when uh, in my previous uh, career, and now to be able to bring that to fruition and to work with Eurofound. They're a tremendous organization as well, very professional, do great research, and um, it's, been, it's been a tremendous experience all the way around. Thank you very much, and it's so interesting because actually that's how I started also my work on um, a project uh, with the Hungarian Academy of Sciences that looked at um, key skills for adult returners. And, ah. uh, uh, yes, and also my passion has always been the matching of labor market needs and labor market demands. And then that's how I also kind of evolved into this work-life uh, integration uh, area. So it, I find that very, very um, fascinating, <laughs> very fascinating. interesting. So, John, now zooming in on the report itself uh, on telework, I, the first question that pops into my mind and perhaps that of the listeners is why now? Why a new report uh, just launched on telework? Is there uh, a certain convergence of trends or a, an evolution that means that we now need to again raise the awareness of, of employers and policymakers in this field? That's that's really a very a very important point, and I think the the key thing is is really what's in your question. It's 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 how telework has evolved uh, really over time, and a lot's been written really about the fact that telework is is basically passe. You know, it's old. It's an old term. It sounds old fashioned to a lot of people, um, and and many people still think we're really only talking about working from home. Um, so you have work in the office and you have work from home. 
and this sort of second kind of work, it's, it's telework. So because people can now work anytime and anywhere. That's why we called our new report, you know, working anytime, anywhere. For that reason, they tend to think that this, this term telework is, is passe, but I would argue differently. And in fact, in the paper um, that I wrote, which was published uh, as a journal article in New Technology Work and Employment, which kind of uh, was part of the literature review that we had done going into this project, um, I wrote about something I called the three generations of telework. Now, my argument is, or the argument of myself and one of my former colleagues, uh, Lutzka Schwind, is that telework's evolved over the last 40 years. And the term was actually coined originally as telecommuting and then as telework by a guy called Jack Niles in California way back in, in 1973. And we argue that, that that's really evolved, you know, over time in what we call subsequent generations, okay, that there's been these three generations of telework. So in that first generation, what we called the home office, that was the 70s and 80s. It was stationary. It was, you know, driven by old ICTs like desktops and fixed telephones and workers' homes. And it was supposed to substitute completely for work in the office. And it was called telecommuting. So, and there was a reason for it because it was commuting by means of telecommunications. So that was the original idea. But then it evolved. Then it evolved into what we call the second generation, which we call the mobile office. And then it could be done in many different places, in cafes, in airports, in train stations, planes, everywhere. So, but not quite everywhere because the workers could work in many different places, not just office and home. And we call these places third spaces. Um, but even then, telework was only partly substituting for work in the office. But now, as you say, why now? But now we've arrived at this third generation of telework, which we call the virtual office in our, in our, in our paper. And, and, and new information communications technologies, they enable people to work anytime and anywhere. Again, there it is, the name of our report. And, and that includes everywhere in between. So not only in the office and at home and in these third spaces, but even when you're walking on the, on the sidewalk, you know, you see people walking on the sidewalk, texting or sending messages, you know, can be very dangerous actually. Um, you can be sending messages there, but you can also be sitting on the beach and teleworking. You can be climbing a mountain and teleworking. I actually had one person who was collaborating with me in the project, uh, who was a consultant working with me, who literally was teleworking when she was climbing Mount Vesuvius in, in Italy. So why you'd want to do that, I don't actually know, but you know, people do this stuff. Um, so this is, I think, the key feature of telework today. That's why we chose anytime, anywhere, working anytime, anywhere, because this is how telework is performed today. And, and, and it's leading people, I think, uh, we argue anyway, that, to, to think that it's not telework, that somehow it's different, it's new, there's all these exotic terms, you know, e-work and e-nomads, and as you probably know, and new ways of working, the new WOW, Job 2.0, and all this sexy terminology. But to me, it's all the same animal. In my opinion, it's just evolved over time in what we, what we argue are these three generations. And, and, and this evolution, of course, over time has led to a revolution, you know? I mean, evolution makes it sound very slow and very gradual, and it was in many respects. But now the cumulative effect of this is that you can work 
pretty much any time and pretty much anywhere as long as you have internet access and with devices that are really tiny um, by by the standards even uh, of the last century. So it, it's a revolution and that's why we thought now, that's why now we, we needed to really look at this and consider what are its implications, how is this affecting the world of work and what are the implications for the future because we think it's something that's going to continue to grow. It's so interesting, the example that you give about your collaborator working while climbing Mount Vesuvius, um, because when we uh, work with companies or people, we ask them, you know, where do you get your best ideas? Where are you most inspired? Mm-hmm. And it's uh, usually not uh, in the office. You know, people never actually reply, I'm at my most creative sitting at my desk, staring at my blank Word documents. <laughs> It's in the shower, when I walk my dog, when I am with my kids somewhere, when I swim, when I run. Because of this knowledge economy, so there has been this real mat- maturity or maturation of, of the uh, Drucker's original concept of knowledge work. And, and yes. it's true, it's, it's when we are really somehow more relaxed that we get these best ideas um, and and I like that the study really confirms some of these assumptions you know that we are feeling around uh, and we're trying to build the the business case on about the benefits but also about the risks and disadvantages of telework both for workers and for employers so maybe for the benefit of of listeners would you mind uh, summarizing a little bit what are you know the benefits And perhaps what are the disadvantages or inconveniences? Mm-hmm. And whether with this study, did you have new findings or, or some surprising um, aspects to this that maybe you weren't expecting? Well, yeah. I mean, I have to say uh, it's, it's really... It's, it's, it's really a mixed bag. I mean, I think there's lots of positives and lots of negatives, both. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that there has to be. The way this is structured mm-hmm. matters a mm-hmm. lot, you know. So, I mean, that's one of the key things is just because the positives are positives and the negatives are negatives doesn't mean that they're set in stone. There's mm-hmm. some, there's some, how can I say, there's some room for actually determining what the effects are going to be by the way that you structure the particular arrangement. Now, in this particular study, we use the term telework and ICT mobile work. And that's a very important point to to keep in mind because it's really dealing with some very different types of Of, of, of teleworking. I mean, from my perspective, it's all teleworking. It's third generation teleworking. Eurofound tends to focus more also on ICT mobile work as a distinct type of teleworking and particularly what they call high mobile workers. And high mobile workers are workers who work in uh, two places in addition to the office and who telework uh, or mobile work on a very high frequency basis, okay? So these actually in many respects are kind of extreme workers because they're extremely mobile and they're doing it on a very regular basis. So the combination of the the high level of mobility and the regularity obviously has the potential to to create some, some issues. So when I talk about the effects, and I'll summarize them briefly, you have to remember Remember that the effects aren't the same for all of the groups of workers. Um, really, three different groups of workers we looked at: people doing regular 
home-based telework, more of the traditional kind of form of telework, but on a regular basis, people doing this high mobile work I was talking about at least several times a week, at least two locations, plus also at the, at the office, at the employer's premises, um, and then what we call occasional TICTM or occasional teleworkers or, or ICT mobile workers who are doing this less frequently and maybe doing it in the, in the office or at home or in other places, but not, not nearly at the same level of frequency. And that and those things matter. Um, so regarding positive effects in general, you see workers reporting not surprising, particularly for the home-based teleworkers, reductions in commuting time, greater working time autonomy, which means they have more flexibility in terms of how they organize their working hours, when they work, which, as we were talking before the podcast, is so important in order to be able to set the schedule, to be able to work at the times when you're at your best. You know, they get better overall work life balance, so the overall work-life balance effect seems to be positive, um, and higher productivity, surprise, surprise, um, for a whole lot of reasons, including a uh, few interruptions, that's a big one, mm-hmm. um, but for a whole lot of reasons. Now, downsides, I mean, the downsides tend to be this tendency to lead to longer working hours, not necessarily much longer working hours, but longer working hours, and this is an important one, the the, the tendency of this kind of working to create an overlap between paid work and personal life, a blurring of the work-life boundary, or what's often called work-home interference. It can also be homework interference, but the spillover from work into personal life or from personal life, it could also be into work. So it can go bro- both ways. And finally, there tends to be a work intensification. There tends to be a more intense work effort, so more hours and a higher level of intensity, um, which can lead to um, higher levels of, of stress and other kinds of problems like sleeping disorders, as have been widely reported in many of the articles, seem to really focus on that. But It's very important to keep in mind the distinctions between the different groups. And a lot of times the articles don't do that. That's the beauty of this is with a longer discussion, we can go into more depth. And there's a big difference, for example, between home-based teleworkers on the one extreme and the high mobile workers at the other end. And also with these partial and particularly these occasional forms of telework and ICT mobile work. And what we find is that the home-based teleworkers seem to do better in terms of work-life balance and a number of other outcomes as well, but they seem to do better on work-life balance, whereas the high mobile workers are more at risk of, of particularly negative health and well-being outcomes um, such as increased levels of stress, dramatically higher percentage uh, of those workers who, ex- who, who say they experience stress at work. Mm-hmm. Likewise, if you look at just the intensity, so that's, where the, that's sort of the place. Do you work at home or do you work, which isn't always just at home, but mainly at home on a regular basis, or do you work in all these other places, you know, which might include home? I mean, so that's one kind of uh, dimension. And another dimension is the frequency or the intensity. And we find that the better results tend to be from the less high intensity. In other words, you're not doing telework or mobile work all the time, but rather you're doing it on a partial or occasional basis. And that also seems to create a more positive balance between 
these the, the benefits and the drawbacks of this kind of work. Um, I should also add, and we looked very very deep at the gender perspective on all of the effects that women uh, doing this kind of work tend to work shorter hours than men, and women also tend to achieve slightly better work-life balance effects than men do. Probably not an accident, because working hours is an important factor in determining your work-life balance. Not the only factor by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a very important. It's a very important one. So, so this is where I think when you said what's different, right? You said what what's, what did you not expect? Maybe why is it, what 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 would be something that we really uh, kind of were surprised by? I think we were surprised by the ambiguity of the results, how, just how ambiguous the results were, you know, I mean, on the one hand, on the other hand, you know, I mean, there are all these positives and there are all these drawbacks too. And so, you know, you're trying to sort of sort through why mm. you have the positives and why you have the negatives. And I think um, what we find is it depends on um, the interaction between the use of ICTs and also how intensely people use them. The place of work makes a big difference. Different work environments make a big difference, as you said, because you're more creative and more productive in certain environments than in others and probably not at your most productive when you're staring, as you said, in front of a blank screen in your office. I can really relate to that. <laughs> I've been staring at many blank screens. Um, somehow it doesn't seem quite as intimidating when you're staring at that blank screen in another location. Not sure exactly why that is. Um, but the characteristics of different occupations are important. Obviously, you know, I mean, if your work is stressful to begin with, if you're highly mobile to begin with, like a lot of salespeople and ICTs can simply compound uh, already stressful jobs. You know what I mean? But we found another thing that really seems to be key. You know, very hard to isolate this empirically. But it seems to appear over and over and over in our results. And to the extent we could isolate it, it was clearly operating always in the same direction. Whether telework and ICT mobile work substitutes for working in the office or instead supplements it, instead adds to your work, that seems to be a very important factor in determining whether the reported outcomes, whether they're positive or negative. So if you're really just supplementing your work in the office, in other words, you know, if you're going to the office and working and then also teleworking or mobile working on top of it, that's more likely to lead to negative outcomes. On the other hand, if you're doing this kind of work instead of going to the office, not all the time, but say two or three days a week, if you're doing this instead of going into the office, you're getting more benefits. For one thing, you're, you're reducing your commuting time or eliminating your commuting time. You, know, you seem to be getting a lot more benefits with fewer drawbacks. So that we found to be a really critical, critical factor um, affecting the, the outcomes that we observed. Yeah, this is this is a, such an interesting uh, point, and it just makes me think of this new French law, of you know the em employees are allowed to ignore emails um, after working hours and on weekends, um, and I'm going to maybe uh, leave that for a little bit later when we when I will ask you about what policymakers and employers uh, can sure. do, but but it really makes me makes me think of that now. 
Um, one thing that I, I picked up uh, from the report, I mean, we, of course, unfortunately don't have time to go into the whole report, but one thing that I picked up and I wanted to, to ask your, your view on that is that uh, there's these very interesting graphs and, and findings about the gap between the percentage of workers that could work remotely or the percentage of jobs that could lend themselves to teleworking mm-hmm. and then the number of actual take up or the number or the percentage of actual workers. So for example, in I rem- the German figure is that you estimate the report estimates that about 40% of jobs can also be performed remotely. However, 12% uh, of uh, employees are taking up this opportunity. So there's a gap between whether they could and are they mm-hmm. actually. So did you look at this? What is the explanation? Yeah, I mean, I don't think we were able to empirically isolate why, but it comes up a lot in the discussion of what are the drivers, um, sort of the driving forces, and also what are the restraining factors, <clears throat> which determine how far this is advanced in, in, any, in any particular country. You know what I mean? So, yes, first of all, you have the potential, and as you say, in some countries you have a higher level of potential simply because you have better ICT connections, more, you know, different kind, you know, fiber optic cable, you know, and better broadband and, you know, better, better everything. You know what I mean? Your ICT infrastructure is more developed and therefore you have more possibilities to actually do this. And of course, um, the economic structure, including occupations, is also relevant because depending on the kinds of occupations, because most of the, the, the people we're talking about here, I mean, tend to be, um, well, not entirely, but there tend to be very, very uh, commonly managers, a uh, wide range of professional occupations doing this kind of work, but also salespeople, a lot of people in sales, and interestingly, a lot of people in clerical and support services, which you wouldn't necessarily expect. But those kinds of workers, their jobs are also ICT enabled. You know, they're not like manufacturing line workers, you know. I mean, they have to be physically present to do their work, at least right at the moment they do. But, I mean, for even for, for, for people who are in clerical and support positions, their jobs are ICT enabled. And we found that they were actually one of the occupations that was quite commonly involved in this kind of work. Now, having said all that about the economic structure, about the occupations and all of that, about the, the, the ICT uh, you know, infrastructure, there are, however, some other factors that I think are harder to quantify, but nonetheless very, very important. I think one of them, without a doubt, is that this is something which has to have a certain kind of enabling environment for it to work. For example, you have to be working in an organization that has some kind of results-based management. I mean, it's very, very hard even to figure out how many hours you're working and certainly um, very difficult to monitor uh, um, when people are working, much less, you know, how how they're working, how intensively they're working. So you need some sort of a results-based system. So really, um, I think there's there's a cult, there are cultural factors. Some countries um, and some organizations very much uh, resist this because a they probably don't have a, a results-based management system, and b um, they probably 
also have a system that's very much based on command and control, as I like to call it. And we talk about that in the report. You know, and even within organizations that do this, if the manager or the direct supervisor has this sort of command and control style of management rather than a more results-based approach, I mean, that's also going to, uh, that's also going to affect it. So, I mean, the, the culture is a, is a factor, the management style is a factor, and I don't just mean the culture of the country, I mean the culture of the, co- uh, the, the, the country can be a factor, yes. the culture of the organization can also be a factor, you know, the style of the managers can be a factor, because even if the culture of the organization is more open to this, individual managers might block it, you know, and of course, you know, there's always the issue of, of FaceTime and people wanting to, you know, to show, uh, you know, that they're, that they're in the office and, and, and they're working hard and, 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 and presenting themselves, uh, what, however you want to call it, the uh, presenteeism, FaceTime, that's, that's there too. Um, however, you know, as, 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 as it, it seems like there is certain positives to that as well in the sense of it keeps you connected to the culture of the organization. It keeps you, you know, from getting too isolated. Um, it keeps you also uh, linked with your coworkers. And that's also good for work and well-being. So it has a plus side as well. But to the extent that it really prohibits people from being able to telework, that's, that's really problematic, I think, um, not only for the workers, but also for the organization, because one of the things that's real clear from this, and where the findings were not ambiguous, is companies benefit from this. Very unambiguously, they benefit from higher levels of productivity and efficiency. They often benefit also from reductions in office space and associated costs. And they also benefit from the improvement, this overall improvement in work-life balance because that can lead to increased motivation and reduced turnover, um, which, of course, um, has positive uh, benefits for, for, for companies as well. So, so this is something really, I think, that is in companies and organizations, both public and private, interest to do this, at least on a part-time basis, to promote this, um, it's clearly uh, going to have positive effects on, on their performance. Very, very interesting. And one of my uh, most uh, cited examples is, is that of a, of a law firm, actually, in the U.S., um, and, and we know that the legal profession is, is one of, of uh, chronic overwork, and a lot yes. of presenteeism and, and, and that's how you advance to the partner's level. And of course, they also bill by the hour. So that, that also contributes. And so this law firm to reduce absenteeism and turnover, they installed this system where they asked um, or permitted employees and, and le- lawyers and partners to go home on time one day per week. Um, I think mm-hmm. about seven o'clock. So from a European point of view already <laughs> in the evening, but from, from their point of view, it was an early night. And um, the employees didn't take it because they felt it was a trap that they were being yeah. observed. You know, are you going to take it or not? Oh, that means that perhaps you're not so motivated. So uh, it is what you said. It has to be embedded in this enabling culture and environment yeah. for, for employees to feel that this is a right, it's a possibility, and that they can also take it up. Yeah, I think that's right. Now, coming maybe to this, uh, to this question of, of what's next. So 
you 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 have outlined some of the findings and I and I encourage the readers to to go and discover this great publication but what would be the next actions that you would recommend to policymakers and also to employers to make the best of it and 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 perhaps also now inserting my little question about the French legislation whether is that the right way to trying to curtail the the negative effects there are a number of different things that that companies can do and organizations of course because they're both public and, and private organizations can and do um, use this quite quite extensively, including since you mentioned the United States, um, my my home country, including the U.S. government, where there is actually um, legislation um, that that strongly encourages. Um, U.S. federal government employees to telework. So this is something that's both in the public and private sectors. Now, I think the the challenge, the overall challenge really is to try to find a balance here. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's the ability to work anytime, anywhere, which sounds great, but at the same time, there, of course, is the risk that you could end up working every time and everywhere. And, of course, that's not good on a whole variety uh, of different um, outcomes, um, not only in terms of, of, of your working conditions and your work-life balance and your health, um, but also in terms of your performance because we know that long working hours are not, are not productive. Even though it's uh, perceived that they are, maybe they're productive if you're in a billable hours culture and it depends on the number of hours you bill and not really on, on the output per se, but, I mean, in general, we know already from other research that working long hours, uh, your productivity declines and your performance goes down and you're more at risk of having accidents, you're more at risk of making mistakes. So if you're working on a contract, you're much more at risk of actually making an error in it, which could cost your, your company a lot of money. So you got you to gotta think, I think, about – and. I'm not saying this is easy, but I think the key thing, the key thing is to try to ensure that working hours are limited in some way and that individuals are guaranteed some minimum rest periods and you know, some minimum time for their personal lives. Um, and and that's, that's, I think, where the right to disconnect, the droit de la déconnexion, as they call it in France, um, uh, comes into play. And there's also similar policies uh, that have been adopted uh, at the enterprise level by companies in different countries, and particularly Germany, a lot of the companies in the auto industry, like the Volkswagen, for example, and BMW and Daimler have adapted different policies that will actually shut down email servers during certain times, or even... um, when individuals are on on holiday, um, send out automatic messages saying that the particular individual is on holiday and they're directed to contact somebody else. So, and then the emails don't even go into the individual's email box. You don't come in uh, back after a few weeks of of holiday to, you know, an exploding email box, um, which I've heard can be pretty... pretty traumatic experience. I actually know one person... um, who is a reporter in the United States who told me that she took a two-week vacation and came back to 25,000 emails. Can you imagine? New ones. 
25,000. That's no. an extreme example, but still, you know, I think we all have had that experience. So, so it's not just uh, theoretical. I mean, I think in France, you know, this is new legislation. It was only enacted last year. Uh, it's only uh, going into effect from the beginning of this year. So I don't think a lot of organizations are sure how it's going to roll out quite yet. Um, in, in Germany, as I said, some companies have already used this specifically um, by shutting down um, servers during uh, nights and, and weekends and, and blocking messages when people are on holiday. Um, I, I'm not sure exactly what the right construct is, but I think the key thing is that we need to be able to maintain some balance between paid work and personal life. And, and, and if we want, for example, to have... Um, still be able to, to, to have personal lives if we want um, to be able to, to, to maintain time for our families and ourselves and even time to get adequate rest, which is so important to health, well-being, and performance, then we need to have these limits. And, and it's, we're not living in the same kind of world anymore. The world used to be uh, very much more straightforward. Uh, it was much easier to calculate working hours, much easier to calculate rest periods. And the boundaries between paid work and personal life, they were solid, very solid. Now, that's not to say people didn't take work home, okay? You know, certainly, of course, workers, some workers took home, work home, like managers, even many years ago. But the point is... With teachers. Teach, yeah. Teachers, exactly. Actually, my, one of my cousins is a teacher, and she always took work home way before, way before she's getting ready to retire now, way before there were any ICTs. You know, back in the age of handheld calculators, she was taking work home. Teachers is another good example, yes. So, I'm I mean, I think the, the, the key thing is that, that, that even then there were still clear boundaries. You knew you were taking work home. You knew you were bringing your work into your personal life or when you were bringing your personal life into work, bringing your kids to work or whatever. I mean, people knew where those boundaries were. But now you can be contacted anytime and anywhere. There are those words again. That's why we used it in the report. Anytime, anywhere, maybe during the weekends, maybe during your holidays even. So therefore, in my opinion, you need to ensure some limits, not only to preserve the principles behind, and of course I'm talking from the perspective of, of the International Labor Organization, uh, the principles behind our international working time standards, the need to limit working hours and provide uh, workers with minimum periods of rest and leave. You know, They're the principles behind the ILO standards on working time, behind the EU working time directive, and also behind national regulations on working hours. But you also need to ensure people can have work-life balance, you know? I mean, and you're working uh, for the Work-Life Hub. That's your organization. So, I mean, exactly. it's really, really important. And how in the world can you possibly have a work-life balance, you know, if, if unless you have some ability to disconnect from work, unless you have some periods of time when you can just say, okay, I'm not available, I'm disconnecting. You know, I often say the most powerful button on my smartphone is the off button, you know, because when I push that, you know, and I slide it over and it clicks closed, then I am disconnected from work. And so I think that's really important. I think it's also important to emphasize that that also benefits 
companies as well because, as I said, it has an important impact on productivity and individual performance. Otherwise, you have a risk of overworking and we know, as I said before, if you work too much, you get fatigued, you're more likely to make errors and your performance goes down. So I would argue that what we need to do is we need to harness these technologies. We can't stop technology, you know, but we can harness them. We can shape them, you know, for all the benefits that they can give, including the flexibility that they can give to workers to be able to manage their, their work lives, including their schedules. They can give workers the ability to adapt schedules and to adapt their place of work to their own personal needs, to their own individual circumstances, including their family situations. And that's what you know, a lot of workers are already doing with telework and particularly with the, the home-based form of telework and, and the less extreme frequencies, the more occasional forms of telework, as I said. So, I mean, that's also important because we see working uh, part-time and occasionally um, outside the employer's premises. So this partial or occasional forms of telework, as I talked about before, seem to give you better results than the more extreme forms um, with more intensity in terms of work and also the more extreme forms with more intensity in terms of or a broader number of uh, places where you work. These high mobile workers certainly are not getting these benefits. So, so I guess I would just, in short, I would argue that we need to make the most of the potential potential of new ICTs, but at the same time, we have to recognize that there are some negatives and set some boundaries, you know, at whatever level that is, internationally with standards, nationally with, with national laws, but also at the organization level and even at the personal level as well. And individuals have to think about their own how they manage these boundaries, how they manage these blurring boundaries. And their own, what we call boundary management strategies are really crucial. And a lot of the literature that we see talks about the fact that the way that, that, the, that the work-life boundary is managed by organizations and individuals makes a big difference in determining what the effects of 21st century telework are, are likely to be. Fantastic. Well, so much information and so much knowledge uh, from uh, you uh, sharing all of these findings. I'm, I'm sure that the listeners are going to be absolutely thrilled and, and taking away really a lot of um, food for thought. And I totally agree, John, that it's basically taking responsibility at all levels, on the individual level, on the line manager level, on the CEO level, national level and an international level, even European level, perhaps on, as you say, um, really benefiting from the added value of these technologies, but taking responsibility for yeah. how we use them and using them responsibly so that we are able to benefit, exactly. but not harm uh, ourselves. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you so much, John. I really, really appreciate that you took the time to talk about the report, talk about the work that you're doing. It has been really interesting and I just wish you the best of success and best of luck uh, with your future work. Many thanks to you as well, Agnes. It's been a real pleasure to be able to talk with you about, about these issues and uh, I wish you all the best as well in your important work. Uh, Work-life balance is a really, really crucial issue and, uh, and you are clearly advancing the work in that area and, and we appreciate that too.